Well, we're beginning uh, Romans chapter 8, and with the beginning of Romans chapter 8 really comes kind of a, a new series, if you will. It'll be a series of messages for perhaps five. I, I still haven't quite cut it up uh, exactly how I'd like it yet. But uh, the title of the series of, of these messages is this, Victorious Christian Living. Victorious Christian Living. And we're going to be in part one today, uh, just looking at the first couple verses. Now, don't, don't, uh, don't get confused here. It doesn't mean we're going to be out in ten minutes. But we are going to start slow and start just the first couple verses in Romans 8 to set us on a course toward victorious Christian living. And to get set on that course rightly, we need to realize that on our way to victorious Christian living are some hurdles. And one of the main hurdles that we're going to have right in front of us is actually how we approach the very first two verses that we find in Romans chapter 8. And again, I, I, I gave the concession, uh, I gave the admission last week uh, that I would not be preaching a typical Mother's Day sermon. And I know for some of you, you know, that's, uh, that's against the rules uh, for churches to not preach a good Mother's Day sermon. But moms, we still love you and we still care for you. But this portion of Scripture today is, uh, as I was asking the Lord what was right for us today, this is what He put on my heart. And I would ask that we would engage in this and recognize the value, the precious value, of what we're going to be learning in Romans chapter 8. So turn there, if you will, Romans chapter 8. And uh, would you please stand with me as we read just the first two verses? I'll read them and just stand in honor of the Word of the Lord. And let's uh, take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Paul writes this. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but who walk according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You may be seated. Zero in, if you will, on, on verse 1 there. Verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, all, how many of you are familiar with this verse? Raise your hand if this is a very familiar verse to you, okay? A good portion of you. I think this is a pretty familiar verse in the Scriptures. Uh, most of you who are even semi-acquainted with the Word of God have seen this verse and are, are, are familiar with it. And uh, you might have kind of an automatic interpretation that you attach to this verse uh, uh, from the, the way you've been brought up and the way you've been reading your, the, the Scriptures over the years. I call this, uh, this is a, a bookmark-worthy verse. You know, you, you know what bookmark-worthy verses are. They're the ones that get printed on nice pink and purple uh, laminated paper. And they, a little you know, punch, hole punch through the top, a nice little pretty bow, a nice little ribbon. You know, a good old Mother's Day gift, right? Right. Gals, show, show your, come on, gals, pull them out. Where, there you go. A nice and high, Kathy. There is a bookmark. All right. Who else? There we go. I see a few more. All right. We all know that moms like bookmark worthy verses. See, this is still pertaining to Mother's Day. I'm doing good so far. I'm all right. Romans 8.1 is a bookmark worthy verse. 
We've all read it. And presumably, we all know exactly what it means. Or do we? As I will say throughout this study, how we read Romans 8 matters. How we read Romans 8 matters. Let me put forth for a moment how Romans 8.1 is normally read. And let's put that traditional understanding of the verse to the test. So here we go. The traditional understanding of Romans 8.1. Here we go. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right, let's see. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Well, let's see. Condemnation, that's, that's pretty bad. It seem, condemnation always seems like eternal condemnation, right? Of course it does. And so maybe what Paul means is that there's no eternal condemnation uh, of hell for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so, so Paul is telling us that there is no way a Christian can ever go to hell. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. But wait, there's more. There's more. It says there, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And what does that mean? OK, maybe maybe it's so there's there's no condemnation. There's no way a Christian can ever go to hell because. Christians don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, maybe? So maybe, maybe all Christians walk according to the Spirit. Maybe all Christians are led by the Spirit and not by their flesh. And so they don't go to hell because they're walking in the Spirit. Does that sound right? No. No. It should sound odd to you. It should sound a little bit off. It should sound a little... It should have a little bit of a hollow ring to it when I give you that interpretation. And yet, how many of us have looked at Romans 8.1 and have instantly had a knee-jerk reaction that says, ah, no condemnation. That means no Christian will go to hell when they die. Condemnation must be eternal condemnation. It must mean hell. And yet, I contend that such an interpretation flies in the face of the context of these two verses that we're going to read in Romans 8 today. How we read Romans 8 matters. How we read Romans 8 matters. Once again, Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's, let's, let's look at this verse again, and let's break it apart. Let's do a little uh, English lesson, if you will. Let's take a look. Okay, we've got the, we've got the breakdown here, right? Uh, Paul's basically saying, okay, there is therefore now no condemnation to those... And he pretty much lists three things here. To those who are in Christ Jesus, A... 
to those who do not walk according to the flesh, B, and to those who walk according to the Spirit, C. So really, when we break apart this first verse in this all-important chapter in Romans, to me one of the most critical chapters in all the Scriptures, we see here that Paul's opening sentence is actually listing three conditions. Three conditions upon which, if met, we receive no condemnation. Now, if this is the case, if this breakdown, if you will, of verse 1 is in fact a proper breakdown of the verse, then it would be safe to say that all three of those conditions need to be met in order for there to be no condemnation. And so if condemnation is eternal hellfire, which I don't think it is, but if it were that, then those three conditions would need to be met in order to avoid it. Of course, that rings a little hollow when you read those conditions, doesn't it? So let's play the game. Let's play the game. Are you condemned or not? All right. Condition number one, to avoid eternal hellfire condemnation, you've got to be in Christ Jesus. Okay, good so far. In Christ Jesus, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. That sounds like being justified by faith in Christ Jesus. All right, so far, so good. I'm, I'm avoiding eternal condemnation. Number two, condition two, to avoid eternal hellfire condemnation, you can't walk according to the flesh. Uh-oh. All of a sudden, I don't feel too confident about avoiding condemnation. Heck, even Paul was shaken in his, should be shaken in his own boots based on what he said at the end of chapter 7. How about condition number 3? To avoid eternal hellfire condemnation, you have to walk according to the Spirit. Hmm. Now, I'm not entirely sure what that means just yet. We're going to get to that next week. But I definitely don't know that I would describe myself as someone who is always walking according to the Spirit. What does this word condemnation mean? How we read Romans 8 matters. It matters. It really matters. Let me ask us a simple question. Can a Christian person walk in a fleshly manner? Say it again. Can a Christian person walk in a fleshly manner? Yeah, you bet they can. They do it all the time. I do it all the time. You do it all the time. Christian people do walk at times in a fleshly, in a sinful kind of way. Of course they can. And they do. And some of us are, are, are doing it right now. We're living a fleshly kind of life. And if that's the case, then isn't it obvious that the condemnation in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, can't be eternal condemnation? Of course it's obvious. How we read Romans 8 matters. You see, friends, Romans 8, verse 1, is absolutely and positively aligned with its preceding context in chapter 7. And what we see in chapter 7 
What Paul says in chapter 7 has great bearing on what he's about to say in chapter 8, verse 1. Let's take a look at what Paul said in our study from last week. This is what he said. Take a look. In Romans 7, verses 15, 19, and 24, I'm picking selections from it, but you can go back and read the context yourself. This is what Paul said about his Christian life. Perhaps when he was a more immature believer. But this is what he said about his Christian life. He said, for what I am doing... I don't understand. For what I want to do, what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In Romans 7, Paul was experiencing inner turmoil. He was frustrated by his inability to defeat sin. He was overwhelmed by the luring temptation of sin. Paul was being consumed by his sin. And he hated himself for it. And so he cries out, O wretched man that I am! And yet this defeat, this turmoil, this angst, it was temporary. It wasn't permanent. Though Paul was temporarily defeated by sin, he reminds himself, he puts in his mind, the only one who can give him victory over his sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. And just two verses, just two verses after describing his own wretchedness, Paul writes, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, what kind of condemnation is Paul speaking of there? His own. His own wretchedness. His own self-loathing. His own self-hatred. The inner turmoil and the angst and the frustration and the hatred of himself because he can't defeat sin. He says, wait a minute. There's a way out. There's a way out. Through Christ. By the Spirit. And as I tread this path, There is no more condemnation in me. How we read Romans 8 matters. Paul's thought process is not, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Thank goodness I won't go to hell. That's not his thought process. His thought process is, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Jesus will, through His Spirit, and I will avoid the condemnation that has plagued me throughout my life. The self-loathing, the self-criticism, the self-hatred, the incessant service to sin. How we read Romans 8 matters. 
And so you need to ask yourself, friends, as, you're, as we're entering into Romans 8, and again, I'll reiterate, this is the most, one of the most critical chapters in all of Scripture. And it, and it holds in it the key to victorious Christian living. We're going we're gonna to unlock the door, but we're not going to enter into that door yet today. We're going to enter in more next week, next Sunday. But today, recognize that how you're reading this chapter really does matter. And in the, at the end of the day, you need to be asking yourself, Am I reading something that is positionally true of me? Or am I reading something that is experientially true of me? See, what do you mean by that? Well, let's, let's pull up a little chart here. Um, this little chart shows two categories, if you will. Uh, positional, meaning who am I at the core of my being as a Christian? And secondly, experiential. Uh, what are some things that describe how I ought to live or how I am living and how I should try to get better at it? Folks, if you take these two categories and apply these two categories to all of Scripture, you'll be reading Scripture with clearer eyes. I want to give you some examples of this this morning. What does it mean? What, what is a positional statement? What is a positional teaching? How about this one? Paul says this. He says, look, Christians are in Christ Jesus. Christians are in the Spirit. And I've listed some verses there. You'll be able to look up many of these verses on your own, and I'll highlight just a few of them. Uh, But this is a, a statement of positional truth. When you believe in Jesus Christ, positionally and forever and eternally, you are in Christ Jesus. You are in the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And you'll never, ever, ever lose Him. You'll always be saved. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you will forever be a child of God. Positional truth. Paul talks a lot about that truth in the book of Romans. At the same time, there's experiential truth that's attached to that. On on the one hand, we're we're in Christ. we're, We're in the Spirit. On the other hand, Christians are called to walk in newness of life and to walk according to the Spirit. And this isn't guaranteed. This is not guaranteed. For instance, Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says, Paul, Paul writes this, Therefore we were buried with Him, Christ, through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Don't miss the word should there. That tells us right off the bat, we're not looking at positional truth here, we're looking at experiential truth. We're looking at truth that Paul says, Shoot for, go for, aim for. It's not always going to be true of you, but that's your goal. That's your aim. Christians are called to walk in newness of life. They don't always do this. We don't always do this. But experientially, it's our aim. What's another example of positional truth? Paul writes this in Romans. He says, look, Christians are dead to sin. Christians have been set free from sin. Christians are not in the flesh. These are statements that, I mean, literally I'm, I'm taking verbatim from the book of Romans here in a, a number of these verses where Paul says positionally, look, you're dead to sin. He says in Romans 6, verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Do you feel free from sin? You might think, well, experientially, no. Okay, if experientially you don't feel free from sin, then what is Paul saying here? 
He's giving you a positional truth. He's giving you an eternal truth. He's giving you a truth that describes who you now are in Christ Jesus. You become a new person. And though you may not experience it in full right now, you, in fact, are free from sin. Sin is dead to you. It has no power over you. And when this life is over, sin, sin will have absolutely no claim to you whatsoever. You've been free from it. You are dead to it. Positionally, that is true of you if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But I don't always feel dead to sin. I don't always feel free from sin. That's right. This is an experiential truth. It's positional. On the other side, on the experiential side, yet sin can still yield tremendous power over Christians when we continue to walk according to the flesh. And of course, we saw this in Romans 7. We just read it. And I think I brought it up there again. Uh, did I not, Corey? Yeah. We just read this. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul says. He's talking about his experience there. Even though on the one hand, positionally, he's been free from sin, on the other hand, it still is a battle for him. He still goes back to that old master. He still goes back to that old self, that old man, that old way. And even though he's new, eternally new in Christ, sometimes the old man revives and overcomes him. What am I reading? Positional or experiential truth? Positionally, a couple others. Positionally, Christians are eternally and spiritually alive to God. You are alive to God, you who believe in Jesus Christ. You're brand new. Given the gift of eternal life. But experientially, hey, when sin revives, when sin rises up, a Christian can experience moments of spiritual deadness. You say, really? Is that true? It's exactly what Paul says. Take a look at Romans 7, verses 9 through 11. Paul says this, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment, it deceived me and by it, it killed me. This is Paul writing as a believer. Writing as someone who is struggling deeply with his sin. And he admits here that he died. That sin killed him. What in the world does he mean by that? Obviously, he wasn't talking about physical death because he was writing it. That'd be kind of hard, you know, to be dead, write, uh, make a bookmark, you know, be hard. Uh, so obviously, he wasn't physically dead. And obviously he wasn't eternally spiritually dead because when he believes in Jesus, he's, he's saved by the grace of God. What is this deadness? What is this death? It's experiential death. It's momentary experiential deadness. And you know what this is. Christians, when you are stuck in sin, when sin is overwhelming you, when, when, when you're... When you're stuck looking at internet pornography, when you're in a rut 
where every time you see something in the store, you want to buy it all the time. Spend, spend, spend. When you use with your mouth words that are totally unbecoming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when these things, when they consume you and they wrap around you and you, you, you're in a state of deadness. That's what Paul's talking about. Christians can experience moments of spiritual deadness. It doesn't mean they're going to hell. It means at that moment in their spiritual life, they are dead. James 2 talks about that. Christian. Faith without works is dead. It doesn't mean you're going to hell. It means it's useless. It's ineffectual. It's empty. You're empty. Experiential truth. Finally, Christians live in spiritually dead and physically dying bodies. This is positionally true of all of us. But experientially, the Spirit offers us life and peace to our mortal bodies. We're going to learn about this more later on in our studies in Romans. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul writes, uh, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Where is the life coming into? Your mortal bodies. Is he talking about eternal resurrection? No. We're going to get to why he's not talking about that in Romans 8. He's talking about right here, right now, God can give life to your spiritually dead body. Though your spirit, when you believe in Christ, is with the Lord forever, you are eternally made new. Your body is dead, wrapped in a a, a robe of sinful flesh. And yet, the truth of Romans 8, 11, that experiential truth says, the Spirit of God can give life to that mortal body. When you walk according to the Spirit. And so we've looked at positional and experiential truth. Now in returning to Romans chapter 8, in return, oh, excuse me, um, I want to say one last thing here. I, I forgot about this last point. You might be asking yourself, um, really, does this matter? I mean, come on here. This is Mother's Day. Why are you giving us such a theological lesson here? Uh, does this really matter? Do I really need to be thinking positional and experiential as I open up my Bible and read it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It matters entirely. Now let me give you one final verse as to why it matters entirely. Take a look at this verse. 1 John 3.9. We looked at it last week actually. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed, Christ's seed, remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now you tell me. If this verse is put on the experiential side, what effect do you think that might have on your spirituality? Wow. How you read the word matters. And I know, I know Christians who read this verse and say, yeah, it's experiential. If you're a Christian, you don't sin. If you're a Christian, man, uh-uh. You, are not, you better not sin. Because if you do, that proves you were never a Christian. Boy, what a good life that would be. Are you kidding? That verse is not experiential. That verse 
is positional. That verse tells me who I am at the core of me. Jesus Christ is in me. By faith in Jesus, He has come into my life. The Spirit of God has indwelt me. And I can say in my new created self, Christ in me, I do not sin positionally. That is who I am. I have been made righteous by my faith in Jesus Christ. I have received the righteousness of Christ and His seed remains in me and I cannot sin because Jesus is in me. Positional truth. It is true of you and me if we believe in Christ. And when we put that verse, as some Christians do, on the experience side of things, and when we take much of Romans 8 and put it on the wrong side, we will end up reading all of Paul and reading all of the Apostle John there, missing the point. In fact, I would, I would say, that, say this about 1 John. Uh, 1 John is, is probably more grossly misinterpreted than Romans with respect to this point. Uh, I think 1 John is largely related to experience and not position, though there are components of positional truth in 1 John. But if you get it wrong, if you read it wrong, you're going to totally affect the way you look at your Christian life and how you live it. How we read Romans 8 matters. Now, in returning to Romans 8, verse 1, just a couple more minutes here, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, we've got a little framework now. So leading up, leading up to chapter 8, verse 1, Paul has been in agony in his fight against sin, he's tried and tried to obey God's law to no avail. He's fought daily with sin, and yet he's lost time and time again. Though eternally saved, in his daily experience, Paul was feeling defeated. And though positionally secure in Christ, Paul was enslaved to sin, as he said in Romans 7. And he asks, he cries out in agony, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Can we relate? Of course we can. Paul's right there with us. It's as if he's telling his readers, telling you and telling me that he knows exactly what you're going through. But Paul doesn't leave us without hope. He has an answer. And Romans 8 is that answer. Paul has come to realize that there is a way out from his personal enslavement to sin and self-loathing on account of his sin. That something is actually someone. It's the Spirit of God who resides in Paul. And next Sunday, we're going to spend our entire time together in consideration of what it means to walk in the Spirit. But for now, know this. The Holy Spirit is now giving Paul victory in Christ. In, in our text as we're reading it here, as he's... If we were to be in, in, in Paul's head right now, Paul's saying, right now, I'm experiencing victory in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is giving me freedom. Paul is achieving personal victory in righteousness and godliness. He's gotten away from the condemnation and the self-loathing and the service to sin. And he's moving forward in freedom and righteousness, and he personalizes it in verse 2. Notice what he says in verse 2. 
For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You might think, well, the me, is that really that important? Absolutely is. Because Paul hasn't used this word in all of the first six chapters. Actually, he used it twice in chapter 1. After that, he never used the word me until we got to the midpoint of chapter 7 and on into chapter 8. Why is me significant? Paul's talking about his experience. Paul's talking about what he's going through. He's talking about his experience, what, what, what is true of him in his heart and soul. And what was true of him in chapter 7 was that he was in agony over sin. And what is now true of him in chapter 8 is that the law, the principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is setting him free from the law of sin and death. Later on in verse 4, he's going to go back to the word us. Which means he's moving back to positional truth there. But here, he's saying, I've achieved victory. I'm achieving it. I found a way out. Paul found a way out from his enslavement to sin. And Romans 8, as we read it, as we study it in the coming weeks, is his attempt to share with you and me how to get out of enslavement to sin. I want to close just with a a continual challenge to us. This week, I I mentioned it last time, I want us to read Romans 8. But particularly, I want you to focus on verses 1 to 13. That's where we're going to be all next Sunday. We're going to go through the whole thing. I I felt it best to, to lay the groundwork today. But we're going to go through that whole chunk of, 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 of Romans. And as you read it, identify. Think, where is this happening? Identify when Paul is making a positional or an experiential statement. He'll do both throughout Romans 8. And it's critical to know when he's doing which. Secondly, define what it means to walk according to the flesh. Try to come up with a definition there. As you read through this, as you meditate on it this week, try to come up with a succinct definition of what it means to walk according to the flesh. And here's a hint. Don't forget about what's happened in Romans 7. Third, define what it means to walk according to the Spirit. And maybe do a little word study on walking according to the Spirit. And uh, look at other New Testament texts. And uh, I'm I'm challenging us to go out and, and define these answers ourselves. You know, you may... It'll be a little bit of a trial and error at times. This is, this is complicated. These, these, these issues are complicated issues in the Scriptures. But make it your mission this week to try and get a hold, a grasp on this. Finally, just a closing thought as we leave. Do you feel enslaved to sin? Do you hate yourself for your sin? The Apostle Paul knows how you feel. Because he dealt with those exact same issues. Read Romans 7. He knows exactly what you're going through. But thankfully, Paul also found a way out of his incessant struggles. And he's about to share his story with us. He's about to share his story of personal victory with us in our time next week. The key to real freedom from sin and a life of spirit-led righteousness is found in Romans 8. 
So as we go home this week, know that you've got someone who can identify with you in Paul and with everybody in this room. And as we're striving for holiness, as we're striving for freedom, as we're striving for the righteousness of Christ morally, be people above reproach, Romans 8 has the answers we're looking for. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, for this time in Your Word. Father, this is, uh, this is a difficult portion of Your Word to understand. And yet, God, it, it's filled. We know it's filled with precious, precious truth. I ask, God, that You would be with us as we enter into this all-important text. That we, Father, would earnestly desire to live victoriously in Jesus Christ. Father, help us. Help us to be holy. Help us to be righteous. Help us to defeat this incessant struggle with sin. We want to, Lord. We're asking for Your help. May Your Spirit guide us. We know who we are in Christ. Now let us experience who we are positionally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.